Middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond. With Tommy Castor, Weston Mills, and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. Some may say that we are wildly unqualified. Some may say that we are only mildly entertaining. I say we are exactly where we need to be, talking shocker dominance on the softball diamond, except for except for Wednesday. And with that, we welcome you into the Keeper of the Games podcast, still hoping one day to be the mildly unqualified and wildly entertaining sports podcast, focusing on sports in and around and of interest to Wichita, Kansas. This is episode number 63 of the Cogpod. I am Blake Cripps, joined once again by Tommy Castor. And Tommy, I actually had a guy ask me about you and uh, said that he was a good friend of yours and said, man, what a great guy. Tommy, how did you know him? He's such a great guy. I said, uh, Tommy's a little bit pretentious, but you know, I I guess he's all right. Hey, you know, I I guess when I see that guy, I'm going to have to pay him his 20 bucks, uh, you know, for for saying those nice things about me. Uh, It's good to know that the Tommy Caster fan club is in full effect all around the city of Wichita. I love it. I mean, I wish I had a fan club. So we were (laughs) we were supposed to record tonight and Tommy was actually late, which is unlike Tommy. And I'm told, Tommy, that you have fallen down the rabbit hole of MLB the show for the first time Xbox and, and like. The whole Xbox franchise, going back to Xbox 360, actually has a real baseball video game on it. Um, Are you playing the Royals and how is that going? Uh, I'm not playing the Royals. I started a franchise for my all-time favorite team, which is the Atlanta Braves. Uh, I started a franchise for them. Um, But I I am in absolute video game heaven right now uh, (laughs) because I think I I told you off air, the last baseball video game that I played, I believe, was MLB 2K13, and that was on Xbox 360 was uh, was released there. Um, I found myself downloading RBI Baseball in previous years that was absolute garbage. Uh, just a terrible, terrible baseball game. And I'm not joking you. I've had, so the game was released on Tuesday. I had Tuesday, April 20th, circled on my calendar, on my phone, since the day you took, that- Did you take it since, off? I didn't take the day off, but I've, I've, had, I've had it circled on my calendar since the day they announced that that <laughs> game was going to be released for Xbox. So I'm so excited. I'm having a lot of fun, although I'm really bad and I have no idea what I'm doing. It, it, it will come back. I started playing like some 2D Mega Man games and it was amazing because like I, you know, I'm we're kind of nerds on this. We'll get to sports in a second. Just sit there and shut up. <laughs> hang on, uh, hang on. While we nerd out. Um, but I, I started playing some Mega Man games. It was staggering to me, like how bad I was at 2D games now. Like, I'm just yeah. terrible now. Uh, anyway, uh, we're normally joined by Weston Mills. Very serious conversation. Weston is actually under investigation being held in Leavenworth by the SEC <laughs> for manipulation of Dogecoin and the crash this week. <laughs> We are hoping true. that the it's advertising revenue that we bring in from this episode, we can help to use for bailout money. We know his wife's really upset. So, you know, if you can like, share, and subscribe at cogsports.com, you know, facebook.com slash keeper you know, of the games. You know what's going to happen is he's hit like his mother-in-law or something is going to be listening to this and think that's true and make a phone call frantically. <laughs> um, so disclaimer, none of what Blake said is actually legitimate. <laughs> 
I mean, all I can say is he's not here, and Dogecoin did crash this week. So, I mean, you well, make your own determination. Now, he actually did fall ill on uh, on Wednesday afternoon, so <laughs> he'll be back next week. But, I mean, if you do want to support him in case he does need bailout money, you can follow us on all these social media platforms at CogPod on Twitter. The best place, of course, to get the podcast every week is CogPod.Podomatic.com. Of course, we have the videos now on YouTube and the audio pretty much anywhere. If you don't want to go to Podomatic, if you've got those automatic subscriptions we're on iHeartRadio, spotify google apple and probably a lot more other fruits that that i can't mention here so follow like subscribe share the videos really appreciate the support coming up on the show today the royals stay in first college basketball recruiting is now like the nba offseason but we'll begin today with wichita state softball who lost their 13 game program record winning streak Due to time on Sunday, they continue to dominate. Now, it's a little bit of a weird situation, Tommy, because the Shockers actually did go up to play Kansas today, just after, uh, just before we recorded this, and they did fall at Arocha Bar Park to the Jayhawks 5-2. to two. It was the first loss that Wichita State had suffered since East Carolina all the way back on March 27th as Bailey Lang got a little touch today. Um, so, boy, it would have been great to come in here and talk about how they had won 13 of 14 with un- unbeaten in-, in 14 straight or 15 straight, but a little bit of a setback, but obviously not a conference game. They've got a very good South Florida team coming into Wilkins Stadium. Shockers are the number 23 team in the country. Obviously, for the Shockers to go down, they beat number 23 Central. Central Florida in the first three games, 7-0, 3-0, and 5-2, and then it was tied scoreless through 11. We had this happen with Wichita State baseball a few years back where they had the drop-dead rule because of time constraints, needing to get on a plane. I'm sure for softball, baseball, these non-money sports are not flying charter airplanes. They got they have to make their flight to get back. I'm sure the ladies probably had some homework that they had to do, so it's very understandable but very unfortunate that it was unable to be completed. Still, even despite the loss to the Jayhawks today, Tommy, a lot to be excited about for Shocker fans as they will get a second consecutive series as the number one or number two team in the conference playing the number one or the number two team in the conference as South Florida is now second in the AAC standing. So another big one. And, Tommy, with a series win, they could clinch the American Athletic Conference regular season championship. Yeah, I definitely think that series win, you know, uh, over the weekend against Central Florida was a, a statement victory as far yes. as the series is concerned for Wichita State. You know, that they, uh, they they were the team that just crept into the top 25 rankings. You know, UCF was 23. Um, you'd have to think going into that series, at least UCF was probably favored at least to split the series, if not take, you know, three or four games or, or maybe even sweep the Shockers. But Wichita State, they were able to go in and win the first three games and you know, despite that loss against Kansas on Wednesday, uh, I do have to think that that's a little bit of an, an anomaly for the Shockers right now. You know, Bailey Lang in that game against Kansas, you know, only pitched, you know, three and two thirds innings, gave up four earned runs on on five hits in that game. However, when they played, you know, UCF over the weekend, uh, you know, she pitched along with Caitlin Bingham in one of those games. They held UCF to two runs and 14 hits in 31 and a third innings pitched. So Bailey Lang had a great outing over the weekend against UCF. Uh, you have to wonder if maybe there's a little bit of a fatigue going on. It's We're kind of in that grind right now sure. you know, as we get towards the, the second half of the American Conference season. And it's just going to be a matter of 
how well can this team hold up? And uh, I, I don't. I certainly don't think that the Shockers ending that series with a tie against UCF on Sunday and then dropping the game on Wednesday to Kansas should be any indication of a direction in the negative way that the Shockers are, are moving to. I still think they're an incredibly strong team. And we've seen how offensively they've been dominant throughout the course of this season. And that's what I liked so much about the the series Blake against UCF over the weekend was that while all we've heard about almost all season long with the Wichita State softball softball team is their offense and the records they've set, it was really the pitching that came to play over the weekend uh, against UCF. So they're a complete softball team. I still like the direction that they're heading. They've got a lot to play for over the next couple of weeks or so like you mentioned, as far as a chance to still clinch the conference uh, championship. So I like where they're at. And, uh, you know, notwithstanding that loss on Wednesday against Kansas, I really like where the softball team is going. And the, the loss against Kansas, just to be to be fair, and, you know, maybe we should be covering Kansas softball a little bit more. The Jayhawks aren't exactly slouches. They're 22-17 sure. and 17 now, and they're the number 46 RPI team in the country. So it's not like the Shockers just lost to nobody in the Big 12. has got six teams in the top 50 of the RPI. Now, nobody is as good. It's incredible if you look at the RPI. Kentucky is like the eighth best team in the SEC, and they're 21st in the RPI. Just SEC is has four teams in the top six, but you know that so they're loaded. But Wichita State still has a win over Oklahoma State, the number nine team in the RPI. They're going to play the number seven team in the RPI. Oklahoma coming up. Bailey Lang was the American Athletic Conference Pitcher of the Week based on her performance last week. So yeah, absolutely dominant. This is the best hitting team. They're the best pitching team in the American. They're the second best fielding team by point zero zero one the one points coming into the Jayhawk game. They're the best team in the league, the number 23 team in the country, and they are doing something exceptionally special this year. And Caitlin Bingham, you bring her up, by the way, in that last game, she went 10 and a third innings. She pitched yeah. the whole game and gave up nada, scattered eight hits with a walk, and obviously couldn't finish it due to the drop-dead rule, but Bailey Lang has been utterly impressive. We've talked about Neely Harris so many times. They have got so many weapons up and down the lineup. Those matches, by the way, are 5 o'clock on Friday. Now, Friday, weather-wise, is looking pretty soggy, so you're probably going to want to stay tuned to GoShockers.com for schedule updates because it's looking, quite frankly, Saturday and Sunday are looking so good. I'm going to be stunned if they play that game on Friday. But uh, as it stands right now, 5 o'clock on Friday, then 2 o'clock Saturday, one game on Sunday at noon at Wilkins Stadium. That place ought to be packed because Shocker Softball is doing things that they have never done right now. They're at 32-6-1. 32 wins was about what you could expect from Shocker Softball in a normal season, Tommy. They're 32 wins right now. They still got two series left. Yeah, well, and here's the thing I just want to mention about Bailey Lang very quickly is, you know, she got roughed up a little bit in this game against Kansas on Wednesday. However, she her record is 16 and three. She's yeah. won half of the games for Wichita State. <laughs> She's lost half of the games for Wichita State. So she clearly I know you mentioned that she was the what the American uh, Athletic Player of the Week. Pitcher of the week. Uh, pitch, pitcher of the week. Well-deserved for sure yes. uh, for, from Bailey Lang. And she's proven to be a pretty solid two-way player uh, in her time at, at Wichita State. So, yeah, there are a couple of big series that are remaining left for this softball team for Wichita State. And, you know, you mentioned what this series will look like against USF 
over the course of the weekend, you know, it's pretty important considering that, you know, what they've got, I think a three game lead in the standings right now over South Florida. They've extended that lead to three games. You know, South Florida is 20 and 11 right now. They're nine and two in conference play. So this is an important stretch of games for Wichita State. They have shown that they can absolutely show up. They've done it all season long, but especially against conference opponents. Yes. They've won three straight series in a row uh, as the Shocker softball squad. So, you know, 14-1-1 and in conference play. Uh, we knew that they were a team to keep an eye on in non-conference, but what they've been able to do so far in American play has been outstanding. And so I'm excited to see what they can do over the course of the weekend. They're still riding a hot streak. I mean, you know, even with a tie and a loss, they've won what 13 of, the, of their last 15 games. Yes. Uh, so completely riding a hot streak right now. So like I said before, I like where this team is at. I like the fact that, you know, they've got that opportunity to not only score a lot of runs, but also back it up with pretty solid pitching. You know, Addison Barnard is somebody that we've not talked about a lot no. on this program. We probably should be mentioning her a lot more because Agreed. she has, she has Blake turned into an absolute superstar in her freshman year at Wichita state. She added another home run to her single season uh, record that she's got going on right now. It's a, it was a two run shot in the game on Saturday against UCF. Um, so when you've got hitting like that, when you've got solid pitching from the likes of Bailey Lang and, and Caitlin Bingham, um, uh, really the, the only way to go, I feel like, for this softball team is is up. Yeah, absolutely. And the Shockers d- just didn't give themselves a chance at the plate today, fell behind 5 nothing. only scored two runs, had a couple of errors as well, and and it just didn't do a great job of getting getting people on base. Um, you mentioned the standings, the Shockers, five games free in the win column. Fourteen one and one USF second place nine and two and then they've got the rivals Tulsa to end the season their last American Athletic Conference series of the season and they've got some games after that. So question for you: So UCF they they're ranked twenty third in the country. They were ranked twenty third. I don't know where they are. because of that series drop, that they're—I mean, where are they at? I'm not looking at the standings right now. Where are they at in the American? So they—they dropped all the way to fourth in the standings. Oh, wow. so, okay. wow. so USF is nine and two, and then you've got Tulsa at eight and three, and then Central Florida based on those losses. So they went into the weekend nine and two, and wow. they ended or nine and three, and they ended up nine six and one. So obviously. That was a, uh, what would they call a bloodbath situation for the Knights in in that game. Yeah, they're tied for 25th right now with uh, James Madison. 22 wow. and one on the years, uh, believe it or not, Tommy. So, so clearly the goal for Wichita state going into this weekend at home against USF is to do to them what they did to UCF the weekend before yes. on the road. Um, because at this point, USF is in second place, just like UCF was the weekend before. So having an opportunity to, uh, to get them out of the way, if they can continue to get space between them and the three teams that are following them, uh, you know, it, I, I'm not going to try to be premature here, but the shockers could be rolling to an American conference uh, title. It's it's on their it's on their bat. I mean, they've got two series left. You're playing second place and you're playing third place and you just beat the brains out of the first place team. So, you know, there's eight games left in the conference schedule and there are five games clear in the win column. Now, I you know, I'm not an expert. This happens in the NFL every once in a while where you get that tie and the 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 tie breaking and the standings it, it's just weird to figure out is that a half game is it a full game back how does how does that work I'm not even going to try to do that 
But at the end of the day, if the Shockers take care of business against South Florida, they could sew it up even before the Tulsa game, certainly at least sew up a share. And then, you know, probably if they beat the Hurricane just even once, then they will have clinched the regular season softball championship in the American Athletic Conference. They've got another non-conference game coming up on April 27th. That's a 6 p.m. game. That will be on the plus. So next up this weekend, South Florida, non-conference against the Cowgirls. That'll be in Wichita on Tuesday next week. Then Tulsa on the weekend of May 1st. So May Day down in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And they'll wrap up the season with the Sooners. Currently the number seven team in the RPI and in the top five in the country, I believe, in the latest rankings. They are actually, believe, uh, beg your pardon to Sooner fans who might be listening, the number one team in the country <laughs> at uh, an, an undisputed all 32 votes in the USA Today sure. and FCA coaches poll at 33-0. and 0. So not an easy stretch of schedule coming up here for the Shockers at all, really, since Kansas City. I mean, you've like number 23, Kansas in the top 50 of the RPI, Second place team in the AAC. They're 66th in the RPI. Oklahoma State, third place team, number one Oklahoma. This is going to be, we're going to find out some character about this team here in this next two week stretch. Yeah. And, and that's ultimately, I, I think that's the way that they would like to have it, right? Because sure. you're, you're getting this team battle tested for the postseason. You're getting them battle tested for the conference tournament. You're getting them battle tested for what comes after that. And, and, and you know, I, I think that show you know taking a look at the success that this Wichita State softball team has had throughout the course of the season you'd have to think expectations are getting higher by the day right uh, I'm sure that you know I, I, I guarantee you that this team knew that they had talent they knew they that they were going to be good but obviously winning and success breeds momentum it breeds confidence and so the fact that they're going through a tough stretch of games right now and they're coming out of it pretty successfully and you know, I think all all signs are pointing to the fact that that will continue over the next couple of series. And then even playing the number one team in the country, regardless of the outcome, I think can only serve to help this shocker softball squad uh, in the conference tournament. And then and then nationally, you know, we'll see what they can do from there. So while it was a very good weekend for shocker softball, it was not such a good weekend for Shocker Baseball. And we'll mention them here quickly as we transition into the other Shocker Diamond sport. Three losses, Tommy. They got swept by Tulane on the road, 6-3, 3-2, and 8-7. The Sunday game, remember they're playing four-game series this year in the American Athletic Conference to eliminate that midweek game for the teams just to prevent spread of the coronavirus. Don't expect that to continue next year. We'll be back to three-game series, I would expect. But um, you're coming off of a amazing stretch of baseball where they swept Omaha, they beat Kansas State, they took, what, five in a row, uh, six in a row against Houston, seven of eight, uh, did not turn out well against Tulane uh, down in the on the road uh, this past weekend, Tommy. Uh, one of the big things that I look at, errors in every game of the series for Wichita State and a lack of timely hitting. And, and I know I'm just picking on one game here, but you look at game three, they have three hits in the top of the eighth. It's a one-run game. They get no runs. And it was, you know, Tulsa, Tulane, sorry, Tulsa and Tulane. Tulane committed six <laughs> errors in this series. 
Shockers did not do a good enough job taking advantage of those Tulane mistakes. And that cost them. Uh, they'll have to try to pick up the pieces. They got Cincinnati on the road and then a very, very difficult series coming up against East Carolina. So you'd like to see them get well against the Bearcats and try to figure things out because, and credit Eric Wedge, he said after the Houston series on his uh, local radio program here in Wichita, he said Tulane was a good team. And turns out that unfortunately he was right. Yeah, you'd like to think that this upcoming Cincinnati series on the road can be used as a get-right series for Wichita State. Uh, hope is not lost for this Shocker baseball no. squad, not not by any stretch of the imagination. They said at 19 and 12, you know, overall right now on the season, uh, they're seven and four in American play right now, which is respectable. But here's what I take a look at, and I think that you historically, just in uh, in any level of baseball. It's always been important for me, and I know a lot of other people, to take a look at at how the wins and losses are split between home and away. And you know, I, the teams that play well at home, a lot of times you expect them to play well at home, right? They're in front of their their friendly fans and and the friendly confines of their stadium, and it's comfortable. But how do they perform on the road? How do they perform when they're away from home? When they're away from their home fans? The Shockers are, are pretty mediocre this season on the road. They said an even at even five hundred. They're six and six on the road. It obviously didn't help that they, you know, dropped three games to Tulane uh, to move no. from six and three to six and six. However, they've got an opportunity now with a four game set against the Bearcats over the weekend to try to improve on on those away numbers, uh, you know, for Wichita State. So again, hope is is not lost. This Cincinnati team is they're pretty middling themselves. They're I think fifteen and seventeen right now uh, on the course of the season. So a losing record overall for the Bearcats. Not really any key victories for Cincinnati so far on the season. Uh, they, their most noteworthy win, they won in 10 innings, 13 to 12 over number five Louisville back in March. Um, so I guess that's kind of a defining win for the Bearcats. But other than that, that's really all that they've done this season. So, um, you know, it, it would hard, it'd be hard for me to think that Eric Wedge, the coaching staff, they're not viewing this upcoming series as an opportunity to try to right some of the wrongs when they kicked off this road trip against Tulane. Well, and it's really it really was the bats that that went away for Wichita State. I'm sure the pitching could have been better, but you look at what they did in that long stretch of games after that Kansas State win, swept Omaha, double-digit hits, at least 10 hits in every game, ended up going for 37 hits in that series. The 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 series win at Houston was not quite as convincing, but then they came back and had at least 12 hits in every game against Houston and didn't manage more than nine in any game against Tulsa. So back down to single-digit hits in the last three games, uh, only had four RBIs in the first two games combined. So just not able to get anything going. And they really struck out a lot in this series, Tommy. They went for 25 strikeouts in the first two games, 31 in the series. You look at the Houston series, they didn't strike out more than seven times in any of those games. So two of the three games against uh, Tulane, double-digit strikeouts. So you got to give the Wave a little bit of credit here in terms of their pitching to cool down, which had been some really hot shocker bats. 
Yeah, that final game of the series against Tulane, the Shockers had their opportunities. It was a oh, back and yes. forth game for sure. You know, Tulane was up eight to six going into the ninth inning. And, you know, the Shockers, they threatened. They had the go ahead run uh, at first base. They had the game tying run at second base. And then Corporal Cornbloom hit into a double play to end the game. So, you know, it wasn't as though the Shockers were completely blown out by Tulane no. because they were. And the inning you know, before that, I mentioned this too, Tommy, Shockers. Had three hits in that inning, didn't score. Yeah. Had a man thrown out at third base in that inning too. So I mean, maybe yeah. I, I mean I'm not going to say that ba- it was a base running mistake or you know anything like that. Maybe sometimes the outfielder just makes a good play. But yeah, when and- you're in a close game like that, you don't want to be getting guys thrown out at third base. Sure. It was one of those series for Wichita State where you look at all three games and each one of them there was a different element of the game that struggled right. for Wichita State. So you can't, I don't think you can point all at one thing saying, well, it was definitely the bats all weekend long, or it was definitely sure. the pitching all weekend long, or the, you know, whatever, the errors. There was something in every game that was a little bit different. You know, the bullpen struggled, uh, I believe, on Saturday's game, but they pitched yeah. pretty well in relief on Friday's game. Preston Stanley started the game in game one uh, for the Shockers, and he struggled to start the game. The bullpen pitched pretty well after that, yes. but they did struggle the next day. So, you know, when one game in the early game, the first game of the series, the bats were, were pretty silent. I think the Shockers were seven of 33 at the plate on that, you know, Friday game. But then come Sunday, they had an opportunity to win the game and the bats were, you know, a little bit better in that game. So it was just one of those one of those series where, you know, I don't think that there's anything in particular that should be alarming right now for Wichita State baseball fans that you can point at and say that needs to be remedied before anything else happens. It just was one of those series where one reason or another in every game of the weekend, it just didn't go the Shockers way. All of the series at Cincinnati will be on the plus. Of course, it's also going to be on radio down here in Wichita 97.5 with Mike Kennedy. Uh, The Friday game is scheduled for noon, doubleheader Friday. So they're going to get the two out of the way at Cincinnati, then single game Saturday at three, and then the 10 a.m. start on Sunday. I hate that, 10 a.m., like playing so early on Sunday. I know they got to get back and stuff, but my gosh, can't they get back just a little later and starting ball game at 10 o'clock? You're not going to have any kind of a crowd. I just, I don't like that. I, I don't think it's very a good atmosphere for the guys to play in. You know, maybe they have a great Sunday morning crowd at, at Cincinnati. Maybe nobody goes to church on, in Cincinnati. I don't know. You know, maybe yeah, they all the, go and watch the Bearcats play, but that, that doesn't feel like it's a very good time to go and play a baseball game. It's the first church of baseball, I think, is what you could uh, <laughs> what you could call it. No, what maybe. I do like what, what I do like about the upcoming schedule for Wichita State is that you know they they were on the road last weekend. They'll be on the road this weekend. They will return home on on Sunday evening after that series against Cincinnati wraps up. They don't play again, you know, until Friday. Obviously, we know that that's kind of the way that the schedule is, you know, set up this year right. due to due to COVID. But I do like the fact that they get those days off to rest, to practice, to kind of get back, you know, uh, get less fatigued, if you will, over the course of of the week before they play East Carolina uh, a week from Friday and, and that series back at home. Moving on, staying on the diamond, however, the Royals are still in first and it's going to be time for another edition of Do the Royals Suck? And as of today, <laughs> April 22nd, that answer is still no. It, I, we don't know how the game yesterday has turned out yet. They don't suck. That's not a hot take at all. Uh, Tampa Bay currently in the lead in the game that's going on as we're recording this. 
five to three in that one. Uh, Tampa Bay, let's just say that the Royals got off to about as bad of a start as they could have with Tampa Bay getting four runs in the first inning. Jacob Junis has steadied the ship, though. He is he's still in for the Royals as we speak. He's gone five innings. So credit to him because he was terrible in the first. But he has definitely, you know, leveled out. Tampa Bay just scored at the top of the fifth. We are in the bottom of the fifth right now. The Royals are nine and seven on the year. And looking since we left you last, of course, that was after the series win over the Angels, two games to one. They popped the Blue Jays, three games to one. Now trying to salvage this game against the Tampa Bay Rays after a close loss on Monday. And then the Royals pitching was just absent on Tuesday as the Rays torched them for 14 runs. And boy, Tommy, we have to say again, what do we make of Mr. Brad Keller? Because coming off of his last start, absolutely tremendous, looked like an all-star. This week, he looked like, well, it basically looked like I was pitching out there. I basically could have done what Brad Keller did because he was terrible. Not only that, but a favor to the podcast, I think. And I'm sure that Weston said that he's not here to defend his boy, Greg Holland had a pretty rough outing last time out. So game three happening right now as we record this. But speaking from the pitching, very mixed signals from the Royals here, Tommy, as the Royals did throw fairly well in some of those in the first Tampa Bay Ray game. A very bad start today by Junis, but he's picked it up. And Keller, awful again for Kansas City, coming off of his best start of the year. Well, I'm a little disappointed that Weston's not on the show primarily yeah. because wasn't he supposed to be at the game on Tuesday night? I so I would, yeah, would love to hear what he, he thought for of that game. We'll have to get did his he thoughts get on that sick next from week. being at the Royals game. Did he have I mean, too much popcorn or ice cream at the ballpark? I mean, it was like thirty five degrees outside, so that's true. Um, that wouldn't surprise me if maybe he came down with the cold after that. I don't, I don't know. I'm not speculating. Justin, I'm not a doctor. Did, did, but, he does look a little soft, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, it's not when he said that he wasn't feeling well. Um, you know, I, I sort of had a sneaking suspicion that maybe he was, you know, got a little chilly at the Royals game. Um, so I mean, when you look I, that good, you just have to know that people have to know that you're just not as tough as everybody else, right? Right. He, I think the the right word is he's delicate. There, there's, <laughs> dainty. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with being delicate and dainty. Um, nothing. We love, we love uh, yeah. you just the way you are, Weston. <laughs> Going back to your question, though, about Brad Keller, let me read to you what his line was in Ugh, that game I don't hear on it. Tuesday night. 1.2 innings, one and two-thirds innings pitched. He gave up five runs on three hits, three walks, and one strikeout. His ERA was 12.00. Too many that was walks. his ERA. Way too many walks. Too many uh, walks. Way, way too many runs. I mean, the, yes. keep this in mind. He gave up five runs. He recorded five outs in the game. He gave up just as many runs as he did outs before and, he was pulled. And Denny Matthews said that, I think it was Johnny Cueto who was pitching for the Royals. If I remember right, I might have that name totally wrong, but this was in the World Series championship year. And he said on the air, because Cueto was really good that season. And he was really, in that series, he was fantastic. Every time he pitched in Kansas City, he was nails. But, you know, Denny was mentioning, because they were at Tampa Bay, and remember, he threw that clunker game. In, in Toronto, and, and he said, you know, when your starter does this, you just have no chance to win. And, and when Keller does this in now three of his four starts, Kansas City just doesn't have a shot when he does stuff like this. 
Yeah, no, without a doubt. And, you know, the, the problem was, and, and I, I hate bagging just on Brad Keller. I mean, he, he had a pretty horrible outing uh, yeah. in one and two thirds innings pitched, but he wasn't the only Royals pitcher that had a rough time. You mentioned Greg Holland. I did. Uh, you know, uh, Irvin Santana had a rough outing. He Kyle did. Zimmer. Kyle Zimmer got knocked around pretty good in the sixth inning. Um, You know, they they got to the point where Mike Matheny in the ninth inning put in Hanser Alberto to finish (laughs) the game. Had a position player pitching to finish the game for Kansas City. But no, he he wasn't. But think of what you have to do to get to that point to where you have to put a position player in to finish out the game for Kansas City. It's it's not a good situation at all. Really, the only bright spot pitching was was Jake Newberry. You know, he pitched for a little while to clean up Brad Keller's mess. You know, after that one and two thirds innings that uh, that Keller pitched. But you know, the the problem with Kansas City right now, especially in that game on Tuesday, is the fact that. The Royals scored, in my opinion, plenty of runs to win that game. And they've done that a couple of different times this season, right? They've put up enough runs offensively that that should be able to get the job done. And it just, it wasn't. And there were a couple of different scenarios, a couple of different times in that game on Tuesday night against Tampa Bay where the Royals closed the deficit. They got back into the game. I mean, it looked like when 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 Keller was rocked that, okay, well, there's the ball game. You know, like it just, it's not going to go well for Kansas City. They got back in the game. They made it 5 to 4 by the time the third inning rolled around and then, you know, all of a sudden Urban Santana came in, gave up a couple of more runs, but then Kansas City came back once again from another deficit. So it wasn't until the end of that game when things really got out of hand, but that's concerning to me. When you look at the offense for Kansas City and what they've been able to do hitting the baseball should be plenty of run support to allow the Royals pitching to lock down a victory. And that just really hasn't been the case. No, not at all. And looking at our game cast right now for Kansas City, by the way, uh, and I do this because I wanted to mention one of the Royals who has not been very good, but but has been okay today and wanted to see what his line is. Um, Jorge Soler and Hunter Dozier have still been kind of no-shows for Kansas City this year. But I did want to mention, just as we record this, Jorge Soler is two for two, does have an RBI. Hunter Dozier is one for two, has two RBI. So those two guys have combined to drive in three of the Royals' runs. So maybe at the end of this game, we have a different conversation. But so far, Soler and Dozier have been big-time disappointments. Salvador Perez has really cooled off. He's hitting 214 over his last six games. But he does have three home runs. We still got pop in the bat. And, you know, let me reiterate again how I challenged, and, and not that Danny Duffy listens to this podcast or really even cares what I think. He I doesn't, don't even, he doesn't I, listen to it? No. He, why would he listen to a guy who forgot where his razor is? But he's putting <laughs> up some freaking numbers right now. Yeah. Danny Duffy is the most – I, I never thought that I would say this, but he is the Royals' best pitcher. He's their most – consistent pitcher and if I need to get three outs in a game if I need a starter to win me a game I'm going to Danny Duffy right now and I never thought that I would say that and not only that but I kind of have to mention Carlos Santana right now didn't like that signing last seven games hitting 391 that's pretty good now he's over two today but still coming to life over the last week's worth of games Carlos Santana and Danny Duffy. Now, Benintendi is still under the Mendoza line, so I wasn't totally wrong on those acquisitions. But 
give Santana and Danny Duffy some credit here. They have really come to play. I, I'm I'm blown. I, I think that I always believed Tommy that Danny had this in him. I always knew. Can you see the stuff? You see how good he is, and then all of a sudden he gets to the sixth inning. Maybe he walks a guy, a couple of cheap ground balls, and then boom, you see a ball hit 500 feet, and you're like, what the hell happened as he was cruising along with a perfect game through five innings, and all of a sudden in the sixth he gives up seven runs. You're like, how does that happen? Danny Duffy's not doing that. He is putting up numbers. He is stretching starts. He's getting into the sixth inning, getting into the seventh inning. I don't know. I knew that he had it within him. I'm not sure I believed he would put it together quite like this, but he really is. And Carlos Santana is kind of making me look like an idiot if he keeps hitting like this, you know, for the rest of of April and into May. Didn't have a good start to the season, but has really turned things around. Yeah, it's a small sample size for Danny Duffy so far. It's early, but yet I think there is – Sure, I think there is cause for optimism. You know, yes. Danny Duffy has pitched 18 innings this season over three starts. He has 19 strikeouts in those 18 innings. He's got an ERA at 0.50 <laughs> right Filthy. now. Filthy. Um, you know, two wins, but all three of his starts were quality starts. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I think you've got to be absolutely thrilled uh, to have Danny Duffy anchor that rotation. And I think that you'll eventually I think you'll be able to see a couple of these younger guys start to settle down for Kansas City. Brady Singer has not had a terrible start to the no, season right now for okay. Kansas City. He's been all right. We've and, and seen for those of you just watching, this is Weston's guys. So we, we got to bring him up because I know Weston would want to talk about if he was here, but you're right. He's been okay. He's been okay. Uh, hasn't been amazing. You know, obviously I agree with you when you say that Danny Duffy has been, you know, the anchor of the rotation. I mean, yes. it's easy to see. Um, but right. I, I think that the the rest of the rotation you'd like to think will come around. I am concerned about, about Brad Keller. However, he was, I, I know it's hard to just constantly think about what happened in the past, but he was pretty dominant in 2020. You know, he was throwing hard. He had good stuff. He was getting guys out in 2020. And a lot of the season, he was the Royals best pitcher on the staff in 2020. So, um, you would like to think that he'll be able to get it figured out and get things turned around. Um, but three of his four starts this year have been absolutely dreadful. And so that's <laughs> yeah. a concern for sure. So thank goodness that Kansas city has Danny Duffy, you know, Mike minor is, you know, was one of their free agent pickups uh, during the off season. He's not had a great start. In fact, he was a starting pitcher on Wednesday night, the game going on right now, as we're recording the game against the Rays, you know, and the Royals are down right now. Uh, what are they in the sixth inning? I think is what I saw last. Yes, bottom of the um, sixth, five to three. And by the yeah. way, to double back around to Jorge Soler and Hunter Dozier, their RBIs all came on home runs in this game. So, you know, credit to them. And another guy, I don't remember if it was you or Weston, but Stalmont came in in relief of Judas, and yeah. he's gotten an inning of scoreless relief with two strikeouts and one walk. So he's come on, and, and Junis is kind of an interesting case too, Tommy, because you know he ends up getting giving up five earned runs and in five innings today. But you know if you throw out that first inning, I know you can't, but if you throw out that first inning, he was pretty good today. Yeah, he was. You know, it was a it was a rough start for for Junis for sure. Start. You know, um, but 
you would like to think that offensively the can you know the Royals can come back from that deficit. We've we've seen them do that in this series particularly. So it's just a matter of can the bullpen hold it? Can they allow the Royals offense to get the runs that they need to get back into the game, you know, and then have the bullpen hold the lead, you know, late in the game. And and that really wasn't what we saw on Tuesday. You know, the Royals are yeah, this is this is kind of shocking to me, right? Is that not only are the Royals trying to avoid the sweep against Toronto, they're trying to avoid Tampa Bay. You know, or I'm sorry, Tampa Bay. They're trying to avoid losing a series, which they're going to lose the series anyway. But it'll be the first series that they'll have lost all season long. They have Very won true. every other series that they've played over the course of the season, including Toronto, the one that they just wrapped up. The other thing that's really interesting is. You know, the the Royals just have not played well against Tampa Bay over the last couple of seasons. Since 2017, they're three and nine at home against Tampa Bay. And and obviously we're talking about it, the team that reached the World Series last year, right? They've been pretty good. They're a quality baseball team for sure. Uh, And they have been for the last couple of seasons. You know, you don't often think of the Rays in the AL East, um, but they have been solid for the last several seasons. And so the fact that they're, you know, three and nine, the Royals are three and nine against Tampa Bay at home since 2017. They just have not played the Rays very well as of late inside the K. And so they're trying to avoid the sweep. They're going to lose the series. But, uh, you know, as it stands right now, I going back to the original question that you had when we first started this topic, do the Royals suck? Well, they're currently still in first place in the American League Central. You know, notwithstanding the competition in the American League Central, they've been able to get series wins. That's really that's been the name of the game for Kansas City. It's it's avoiding sweeps. It's winning two out of three, three out of four, getting the series wins and moving on. So um, that's really what Kansas City has been able to do. It's been their bread and butter. And so I would say resoundingly, no, the Royals don't suck. They have some holes in their pitching, which we've talked about at length over the last several weeks that they need to get short up. I, I still wonder, Tommy, if we're if if this is a little bit of fool's gold because you look at at who the Royals have played, the Angel, and it you know we're let nobody in the majors. I'm looking at the standings. Nobody's played 20 games. Oakland's played the most. They're 12 and seven, and um, they, wow, they've won how many games in a row? 11 games in a row. Wow, yeah. I don't know if Oakland's they're hot supposed right to be now. That good, but yeah, they're yeah, playing really hot. good. The only thing that I think that I know for sure this year is that Detroit's going to be a mess. They have minus 26 yeah. in the run differential. I think Detroit's going to be absolutely terrible. But you look at the first place teams in baseball, the Royals have the worst run differential of any team that is leading the major leagues. They're at minus seven and some of their series wins, they split with Chicago. We think Chicago is going to be pretty good. They're nine and nine. Uh, The angels uh, who know, can they finally figure it out with all the talent that they've got out there? I don't know. Toronto has a losing record. Tampa Bay, as you mentioned, they're a good team and, and the Royals are losing. They split with Cleveland. They did take two of three from Texas, but Texas is one game below 500. So I, I just wonder if if this Royals team is for real. Their expected win loss right now, that stat, if you believe that, is seven and nine. So they have definitely got a little lucky to get out from some of these games with wins that maybe you wouldn't expect. But you know, as you mentioned, they are in first place. 
But I am a little concerned that that maybe this is a little fool's gold early. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the Royals will respond. They are off on Thursday. They go to Detroit for a four-game set. You certainly hope they take four from them, the Tigers. They've been yeah. really bad. And then they've got Pittsburgh on the road next week and then a series at Minnesota on the 30th up there against the Twins. Well, make no mistake about it. The Royals absolutely have overperformed to start the season. Sure. Um, you know, I, they're, they're nine and seven. You know, they're losing right now. So they very well could be nine and eight, you know, by the time this game against the, the Rays wraps up and the series wraps up uh, against Tampa Bay. That being said, they have overperformed. Uh, you know, I, I think that the ceiling at the beginning of the season, 15 to 20 games in, for me, I would have said at the beginning of the season, yeah, 15 to 20 games in, the ceiling's probably 500 is is kind of what I would have thought, but probably a losing record. Maybe not like a crazy losing record. Like two maybe or not three last, below. Yeah, maybe not last place in the in in their division, but you know, somewhere right around 500 or just under 500. They have overperformed a little bit, but maybe a little bit more importantly, the other teams in the American League Central that were projected to be dominant have underperformed. The White Sox Agreed. are nine and nine right now. They have, they should have a pretty dynamic offense, pretty explosive offense. And uh, I think we've seen that somewhat this season from the White Sox. I know they have struggled with some injuries, some pretty key injuries early on in the season, but they're nine and nine. I think they've underperformed, but definitely the Minnesota Twins have underperformed for sure. They set right now with a record of six and 11. They've been a team historically that, you know, I don't know uh, if you've got that projection projected win-loss total in front of you, but I would venture to guess that Minnesota's projected win-loss record has got to be a lot higher than 6-11. and 11. I would, th- yeah, so their expected win-loss is 8-9, and nine, and the strength of schedule is also really interesting to look at. The White Sox are 9-9, nine and nine, and they have played only teams that have at least a 500 winning percentage. Meanwhile, Minnesota, 6-11, and 11, their expected win-loss is 8-9 and nine this year. They are 4-10 and 10 against teams that are at least 500. So Minnesota, out of their 17 games, they have played 14 against teams that are at least 500. Meanwhile, Kansas City has only played nine of their 16 games against teams that have winning records. And Kansas City in those games, Tommy, only four and five. So again, that's the reason that I would have concern that you know the White Sox have been okay against the really good teams. Their schedule is going to soften up. And now the Royals are not going to get a really tough schedule here soon because they're playing Detroit. Detroit's bad. Pittsburgh is okay. And then that it'll be very interesting to see how that Minnesota-Kansas City series turns out. Because like you said, Minnesota projected to do some things this year and has underperformed. They've been really bad against good teams this year. And it'll be interesting to see how Kansas City matches up with them. And, and that's really the the name of the game, right? You've got to be able to beat the teams that you're supposed to beat. Then sure. you've got to be able to steal a few from the ones that you're not supposed to beat. And so, you know, really that's that's part of the reason why I think the Royals are in their posi- in the position right now that they need to be in. The it's it's a double the pitching is a double-edged sword right now for Kansas City because yes, there is early concern with the rotation. There's even some early concern with the bullpen. That's not unexpected. That's not a surprise. That's something that people have been talking about for weeks now. What's important though, and what makes it a double-edged sword is the fact that it is still early. So you've got time, you've got opportunities to be able to get it worked out and get it fixed. Sure. Yeah, when you go back to last season, when you go back to the the the, the pandemic shortened 2020 season, 
there wasn't time. And so I think you saw teams and managers and front offices start to to change the, their approach a little bit. They, they didn't have quite uh, as much patience as they would have throughout a 162-game season as they had during a 60-game season because every game counted so much more because you only had a certain number of them. So right. the good thing is we're still in the third week of April right now. There is a lot of baseball left. Yes, It is encouraging what Danny Duffy has done. Uh, it's 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 concerning some of the other issues in the rotation and in the bullpen. They've got time to figure it out. They built themselves a little bit of a cushion right now. It would be different if the Royals were five games under 500, 10 games under 500 here early on. Then it would be like, all right, we got to get this thing figured out right now. They bought themselves a little bit more time to be patient with some of these players like Brad Keller and you know some of the, the arms in the bullpen to be able to get it worked out. And by the way, just before we we wrap up here, um, Hunter Dozier is on the plate. Looks like Salvador Perez just got a double for the Royals. So nice. they've got the tying man at the plate, bottom of the sixth. Obviously, as this is released on Thursday, you'll know the result of this game. But the Royals trailing by two right now. And Nicky Lopez came into this game hitting over 300. So another yeah. big surprise for Kansas City. Let's see if they can keep it up. They are going to be off today and then start that series against Detroit. We transition now to college basketball because it's seems like this is exactly like the NBA offseason. There's news breaking all the time with this transfer portal. It's the Wild West and the latest big news right here in the air capital as Tyson Etienne, the American Athletic Conference Player of the Year, declaring for the NBA draft, made it very clear when he declared earlier this week, I believe he actually declared officially on Sunday this week, that he is keeping his eligibility and called it pretty much a no-lose situation. Go get evaluated. See what the evaluators, the talent, the scouts say about you. You can work on that and come back to school. And if you get the answers you like, then obviously you go to the draft. Uh, Tommy, this was not something that we really considered, the possibility that Tyson might get drafted for Wichita State. And, And like I've said in the past, this is one of the areas of sports talk that a lot of guys get into. Like, oh, yeah, this guy's going to go pro. There's Who's going to get drafted? High school signings and, you know, like the, the, the star ratings. Those are things that I am just not in draft projections. Who, who the Chiefs are going to take, who the Royals are going to take. Those are things that I am not only not interested in, but frankly not very good at outside my skill set. So I am not sure how, you know, players will translate to the NBA necessarily, although I, I was right on Fred Van Vliet, totally wrong on Clee Anthony early. So, you know, I, I, I bat about 500, which means about nothing. What are your <laughs> thoughts on Tyson Etienne and his NBA draft chances? Does this concern you as a Shocker fan, or do you still have confidence that he will be wearing the black and yellow next season for Coach Isaac Brown? Yeah, you can mark my words on this. Tyson Etienne will be back to play basketball for Isaac Brown and Wichita State. Uh, he's generally not listed on NBA mock drafts. That's not the end of the world. Um, sure. There have been a lot of players that have gone through the draft process that have found themselves rising up the draft list a little bit in the mock draft list as they go through that process and they get that feedback and all of these scouts and GMs start to see their game and maybe they were um, you know, under the radar. They become a little bit more on the radar at that point. They end up being drafted. But I don't think Tyson Etienne is that player this season uh, going into this season for Wichita State or for the NBA. I think he'll be back uh, 
wearing that that black and gold for Wichita State. Uh, he has been kind of averaged around number 81 somewhere around there as far as where he where that you know as far as ranking of the the prospects which is far outside of that first round it's far outside of that even that second round for NBA teams so again it's a it's a no lose situation for Tyson Etienne he'll be able to get some feedback on his game but really where the questions are I think for him and this is something that he'll need to I think address when he returns to Wichita State number 1 will just sort of be kind of where he fits in on NBA rosters. He's a little bit too big to be a point guard. He's a little bit too small to be a shooting guard in the NBA. So where does he fit and what's his natural position when, you know, if if he does end up being able to play in the, in the NBA? The other question is going to be sort of where he was in that NCAA tournament game against Drake. If you'll remember, he went 0 for 6 from the field and he scored one point in that loss against Drake. So that's going to be something that he'll need to address. And I think that's another reason why more than likely we'll see him back inside Coke Arena next season because I think he'll want to avenge uh, that last game, I don't think that was a great game for him to go out on. And so I think this is an opportunity, again, for him to get feedback, to get familiarized with the process, then be able to return to Wichita and be able to say, here's what I need to work on. Here's what the scouts are saying. This is what I need to improve on if I want to have an opportunity to get drafted down the road. So I'm going to press you on this a little bit because I feel, and before I do this, let, let me make sure that I'm not mischaracterizing your opinion. You said that you pretty much think Ochai Abaji is gone, right? He's not coming back? Yeah, I don't think Och- Ochai Abaji will be back. So NBADraft.net does not have Ochai Abaji currently being picked in either the first or the second round. So why do you, they, they currently have Marcus Garrett as the highest drafted uh, Kansas player in the 50s. I think he's going to Indiana on, on their rankings. Not NBADraft.net might be the worst draft mock site in the world. I don't know. But why, do you, why are you so sure that Ochai is gone for Kansas where you're the completely opposite for Tyson Etienne? Well, I think part of the reason for Ochai, why I'm a little bit more confident that he's not coming back is because while he may not generally be on the boards right now, his status has sort of been all over the place during the course of his college eligibility. If you'll remember back when he was a freshman, he was a potential lottery pick his freshman season. So he has the capability. He has the potential to be an NBA player right now. Has he shown it the last couple of seasons at Kansas? Not really at times. In, in, in occasionally, flashes. In flashes. In, flashes. He has. Yeah, in stretches. In, right. In, in stretches, he has shown that he can be a capable pro at the next level. So I think if you are an NBA GM, you may be willing to take a flyer on somebody like Ochai Abaji because he has shown that potential in the past. Tyson Etienne, he's a fantastic player. I think he can Shot better offense at times than Ochai did. Right. But he hasn't been on the radar in his career like Ochai Abaji has been. So it's not necessarily, in my opinion, about the level of their games. Uh, I think it's about their stature amongst NBA GMs and scouts. And Ochai Abaji has been on the radar uh, quite a bit more and quite a bit more often than Tyson at the end. Do you think that the AAC player of the year award, I mean, that that's, that's a big blip on the radar. And that's something that Ochai sure. doesn't have. 
Well, right. But I I don't think that that's the end all be all. I mean, I think you can look at a lot of players that have been conference players of the year, you know, have had all these accolades and it doesn't doesn't translate. I mean, look at look at a guy just off the top of my head. Look at a guy like Perry Ellis that was very highly decorated during his time at Kansas. Sure. He didn't play in the NBA. I mean, there are a lot of players that are are like that. Um, you know, I think the jury is out still on if Devon Dotson will turn into a long-term pro. Um, you know, I know that he signed with the Bulls, but he went undrafted. He was highly, highly decorated in his time at Kansas. So, you know, I, I, I think it's less about what your accolades are in college, and I think it's more about how your college game translates to the pro style of basketball, which by the way, I've been on the record. I don't know how many times saying I hate the pro style play. I don't, (laughs) I don't enjoy it. Uh, It's kind of sad for, it's kind of sad for me because I watch these players that I come to love in college. And then I literally never watch them play another basketball game again because I cannot stand the NBA. Uh, But that's neither here nor there. But no, I do think that Ochai is a more likely flyer pick in the NBA draft than somebody like Tyson at the end. Other big news for Wichita State, Joe Pleasant transferring to Wichita State from Abilene Christian. Now, this broke actually while we were recording last week's episode. This is about a week old news, but he's from Overland Park. He made two free throws. I'm sure you guys saw it if you watched the NCAA tournament, that huge 14 over three upset as Abilene Christian maybe cost Shaka Smart his job or, I don't know, pushed him out to Marquette. That whole situation is still weird how he you'd leave Texas for Marquette. Like, are you insane? Um, but the Shocker is getting a presence with 57 starts under his belt. He averaged about 11 points per game last year and shot not a volume three-point shooter, but did hit 46% of his threes, six rebounds a game. It was an all-Southland conference performance uh, from Blue Valley Northwest, so he played in a a staple program of 6A high school basketball in Kansas and at Abilene Christian, by the way, they were 71-23 and 23 in his career there. They won a Southland Conference tournament, two NCAA tournament appearances in 2019-2021. I think Pleasant can come in with his size. He has proven that he can do it against a very good Power 5 team, a Power 6 team like Texas. I think he can come in and help Wichita State immediately. I think he could be the... Uh, this is a little bit of a bold statement. You can get your hot take horn ready if you want. I'm ready. I think he, I'm ready. I think he could be a newcomer of the year in the American Athletic Conference. Maybe. I don't know if that's hot take or not. I just feel like his game will trans will translate well. I think that he could pose significant matchup problems in the AAC. I think this guy could be a really, really big pickup for Wichita State. Yeah, I, I I like his game and I like his size. I like his stature. Um, you know, especially with Trey Wade announcing that he's not returning to Wichita State. Um, I Wichita think that State that opens, needs him. Yeah, I think that opens the door for a guy like Joe Pleasant because you look at uh, the fact that the Shockers are you know they they're pretty strong in guard play. Um, you know, especially if Tyson Etienne returns and they've got a pretty strong body in the post in Morris Udezi, what they're, they're missing is somebody like Joe Pleasant, somebody that can stretch the floor a little bit. He's six, eight. Uh, he's a, he's a forward. He's built like a linebacker. If you take a look at him, uh, and so I, 
he can rebound. He can, you know, he's, he's going to be that guy that's going to be able to get in and, and do the dirty work. I, I know that's really cliche and I hate it when people say that, but it really <laughs> is. It really is true with a guy like Joe Pleasant. And so, um, you know, I'm excited for that pickup. You know, he is a Kansas native. He's from Overland Park. He played at Blue Valley Northwest. Um, you know, they won the 6A state championship when he was a junior and a senior inside Coke Arena. Um, so he's familiar with that arena for sure. He was also the 2017-2018 Class 6A Player of the Year. So I think this is a great pickup for the Shockers. Like you mentioned, he averaged 10.5 points a game, 5.5 rebounds a game. Um, so I think that's going to help out Wichita State quite a bit. And it, again, it wouldn't surprise me. I know you said Newcomer of the Year, but it certainly wouldn't surprise me if he came in as an immediate contributor to Isaac Brown's squad. Moving on to Kansas State, the Kansas State Wildcats picking up their own 6'8 forward coming from uh, Wake Forest, Ismail Massad, and I may have that name completely butchered. Really interesting prospect, eight points, three rebounds a game for the Deacons last year, but at times showed that he could be a huge huge score 31 points he dropped eight three pointers in a win against pittsburgh and shot 36 percent from the three-point line but he only shot 35 percent from the two point from inside the arc tommy so this is a guy that wants to play on the wing has a lot of size I, i think the question for him will be what kinds of players can he guard if he has the foot speed to keep with some of these smaller guards Having a 6'8 guy on you could be a really difficult matchup problem, especially, you know, like you guys said, if David McCormick, this does not sound like the kind of guy that a David McCormick would want to try to guard. And so if he can stretch the floor a little bit, 36% from the three-point line, interesting to see how Kansas State will work him into their lineup next year. Yeah, you know, I, I, you got to give credit where credit is due. Um, you know, in a in a landscape now where there are so many players that are transferring in and out of programs, uh, it makes the the coaching staff's job that much more difficult to be able to put the pieces of the, of the puzzle together for your team from year in to year out. And that's something that Bruce Weber and his squad they're attempting to do right now. They've landed a couple of other transfers. You know, you look at Mark Smith, who was the guard out of Missouri that right. ended up ended up choosing uh, Kansas State. I'm sure that he's going to be enemy number one for KU fans, considering that he was As at he Missouri. He was at Missouri and then now at Kansas State. So you're doubly hated, I guess, at that point. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, but but hats off to Bruce Weber and his uh, his coaching staff. They've had to go in with the players that have transferred out of the program, go in and try to rebuild their squad. And you know, so uh, again, it, it's it's clear that Weber has the vote of confidence from Gene Taylor. He's not going anywhere in Manhattan right now. Uh, and so it's going to be up to him and his coaching staff to be able to field a more competitive team this season than what we saw not only last season, but even the season before. And Kansas State also announcing this week that they are headed to the T-Mobile Center in November. They will be in the Hall of Fame Classic with other participants, including Arkansas since the end. Not sure if you've heard of this school, Tommy. Illinois is going to be there as well. Coach Weber has said that he is going to request that they not play Illinois in the first round, but that would be interesting to have Coach Weber coaching against the Illini. I wonder why he doesn't want it to be in the first round. I'm not sure... (laughs) What, I mean, I get that he coached there, but I don't understand. What the I, issue I think is. it's like Roy Williams. He always said he's never scheduling Kansas once he left. You know, he, well, sure, he, but if you're if you're playing, if you're going to play in an early season tournament, 
it's sort you're agreeing to play potentially any of those teams that are in that tournament sure. field, right? So if you don't want to play a team, don't play in the tournament. Don't well, enter the tournament and then say, I'm not going to play that team. So I believe that Kansas State was actually the first team that they inked for this. Obviously, if oh. you're at the T-Mobile Center, you probably want to get KU, Kansas State, or Wichita State, or Illinois, Missouri, one of those local teams that's going to travel really well, maybe even an Iowa State. because you Is know- it because of that, or is it because of the fact that there's a pretty good likelihood that Illinois would absolutely wipe the floor. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. There's also the situation. I think a lot of many Kansas State fans would like to see their coach maybe wearing the Kansas State colors. Brad Underwood, former sure. Kansas State. You know, that I think that just leads to a lot of uncomfortable questions that maybe Bruce Weber wouldn't like. I'm just I'm just spitballing here. You know, I, I don't know I don't like the that. answer to that. I don't but, like that at all. Uh, anyway, but that that's his thing. I, I I guess I can understand that you don't want to coach against your, your former team. Uh, on to KU news, Tristan and Aruna is headed to Iowa State. So we yeah. know his destination is a transfer. I always thought that this was a little cheesy, Tommy. Like, I know it's open transfers, but like, I guess the previous school has no rights now. Like, KU can't even say, okay, you can go anywhere except for somewhere in the Big 12. Like, why does he have to end up at, at Iowa State? That, you know, I, all the best to him. God bless him. But I always thought that was a little cheesy. I feel like even if you want to open up transfers, I think that there is a reasonable expectation that if you recruit a guy to your school, that he doesn't end up at somebody else in the conference you know, to finish out his career. If he bounces back on maybe the second transfer, fine, whatever. But at least on the first transfer, I don't think it's unreasonable for a school to say, hey, you know, I guess more power to Bill Self. If he says, hey, go to Iowa State, you know, that's fine, whatever. He, I guess he told Tristan that if he goes off in the first half, he's just going to foul him to death in the second half <laughs> <laughs> because he actually called Bill Self to say, hey, I'm going to Iowa State. So good on Tristan for doing that. But, you know, I, I realize that we want to give players more power, but I don't think they have to get all the power. You know what I mean? Well, and I don't necessarily think that it's really that this particular situation is all that big of a deal. Generally speaking, I agree with you about a, a player going and playing for another team inside Doesn't it the conference. Feel a little like, you know, I get it. I get it. Yeah. But this particular specific situation doesn't really bother me all that much. Iowa State is in a bad place right now. And Tristan and Aruna got to the point with KU where he was like, the eighth man off the bench, if that for Bill Self, especially late in the season. Will he be able to be a little bit more of an impact player for the Cyclones? Potentially. Uh, wouldn't surprise me if he maybe broke into the starting lineup at some point for Iowa State. But we're not talking about a guy, in my opinion, that has the potential to, to really do a lot of damage. Um, especially against Kansas. I just don't really see that happening. But generally speaking, I do appreciate your sentiment. And, um, you know, I, I do agree with that. What I'm more concerned about, and this isn't even a transfer within the conference, but it's the fact that the Groves brothers are now playing at Oklahoma. And the fact that they were absolutely incredible in the NCAA game against Kansas in the opening round when they played for Eastern oh, yeah. Washington. And now they'll be Oklahoma Sooners under new head coach Porter Mosier down there. So uh, that's awesome. We'll get a chance to see those twins twice a year, if not more, inside Ugh. conference play. Um, so not really a fan of that. I'm more concerned no. about those transfers than I am about Tristan and Aruna going to Iowa State. 
So a couple other quick news and notes. KU has signed uh, high school player Bobby Pettiford Jr., a prep guard out of South Granville High School in North Carolina. 20 points per game, six assists per game, five rebounds a game. School scoring leader, 1,900 career points. And also, this is a Kansas State football signing, actually, a cornerback from Friendswood, Texas, Colby McAllister. No stars from rivals or 27, uh, 24-7 sports. He's a class of 22 guy. Offer from Alabama State, uh, also being recruited by Colorado and Army. Tommy, I'll let you have the floor on both of those. You know I don't care about high school signings. Let me know when they show up on uh, on campus and actually do something for a living. Um, But I also understand that you have some KU basketball breaking news. And I don't know what this is because I've actually been paying attention to the show. Apparently you have, you know, at least somebody in your ear. Um, If if we could get that producer in my ear as well, that would be great. (laughs) You know, we have the production value a little bit. But what's this? But so you've got those signings. I yield to you on those. Or if you want to go to the breaking news, you can do that. Well, I don't have much to say about Bobby Pettiford or the football signing. Um, and this is, I think, bigger than than those two things. And yeah, I, it, wouldn't it be nice if we had the production value or the budget yeah, to be able to have a producer nice. in our ears? No, I'm, I'm just seeing this come on in social media. Marcus Garrett has officially declared for the NBA draft. He will not be returning to Kansas for his fifth year. So he pinned a letter to Jayhawk fans. Uh, and then the official Kansas Twitter account posted it uh, as well, announcing his decision. He said, in part, there's only one bad part about being a basketball player at Kansas. You know what it is? Saying goodbye. So he is done. He will declare for the 2021 NBA draft. He will not return to Kansas uh, next season. So uh, I don't think that's entirely unexpected news. I'm not shocked Uh, at all. But at the same time, there was those... You know, I think those little seeds of doubt that some Jayhawks fans had due to the uh, the restrictions being loosened with, you know, the extra year of eligibility. I think maybe some people thought he may return for a final year, but he will not pull a Mitch Lightfoot. He will be leaving <laughs> Kansas and not be returning. And we were talking about that NBA draft projection earlier. Like I said, he was the only Jayhawk projected in the top two rounds. He was going in the 50s, I think, to Indiana. And to me, Tommy, when you were a guy like Marcus Garrett, who does not have a real established three-point shot, I mean, I I think he can shoot 30% from the three in the NBA, but in the NBA, that's not really what they're looking for. As a guy with his size, you know, I feel like the NBA does not put the premium on those top picks if they can't score unless they're a big man. Um, so I, 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 it feels like being picked in the late second round, and like I said, I'm an idiot when it comes to drafting. Don't believe a word that I say, but it feels like this is about the ceiling. Like if he gets picked in the 40s, 50s, or 60s, I, I think if you're Marcus Garrett, that's about all you can expect. I don't think you can expect to go in the first round. So if the scouts are telling you you're going to be in the 40s or 50s or 60s, you got to go, right? Sure, but I can't envision a world, and I know they're completely different drafts. I just can't envision a world where Marcus Garrett gets drafted and Devon Dotson doesn't the year prior. Um, that's just hard for me to swallow. I know that Devon Is Dotson size was the considered difference? under. I, I think he was considered undersized. Devon Dotson was, but you just look at offensively the deficiencies that Marcus Garrett has. Don't get me wrong; we all know how absolutely elite Marcus Garrett is defending the basketball that I think will be 
the the hallmark of his career at Kansas. That'll be the thing that Jay Hawkins will look back on. He's a great passer, but it's going to be his defense that people are I going agree. to remember. They're going to look back and say, "Remember Marcus Garrett? Oh yeah, what a what an elite defender he was. He was the mm-hmm. you know defensive player of the year. You know things like that." Um, but he does unfortunately have deficiencies offensively. He has improved his offensive play from year to year, you know, going from 7.3 points a game back in the 2018-19 season to 9.2 points per game, 19 to 20, and then up to 11 points per game this previous season, this past season for KU. So he has improved it, but at the same time, he's not, he just is not consistently uh, an offensive player that I think other teams' defenses have to constantly watch and worry about every possession. And he that's needs, ultimately – go ahead. I, I was going to say, I think he needs he needs to have a big-time guy with him. You know, because yeah. last year he had Dotson. And right. even this year, he's got the ability to get to the rim off the dribble. And I think for an undersized guard in the NBA, he will be a tough guard. I think he could still score that way. But – it's hard for him to create his own shot. He was kind of forced to at times this year because Kansas, you know, they had David McCormick, but he wasn't the transformative player that, you know, as a or Devon Dotson or, you know, these right. other big time players have been Nick Collison, Mason, Kirk Heinrich, sure, Frank Mason, Frank Mason the Graham. Yeah. Yes. The, and, and here's Andrew what I Wiggins. think. Yeah, and here's what I think. You know, he clearly is the kind of player that he can be a, an incredibly effective Robin to somebody else's Batman, right? Sure. Um, you know, he's going to be that guy that the the other team's defense they put all their effort on that that playmaker, that one guy. So you know, if he can find his way onto an NBA team, which I'm kind of. I'm not super optimistic that's going to happen for him long term, but if it does, if he finds his way onto an NBA squad, if he can join a team where there's a playmaker that commands all the uh, all the attention and that leaves Garrett to be able to be off ball and not be defended that way, then I think he could put up some respectable numbers offensively, but really a team is going to draft him and they're going to play him pretty much solely based on his defense. He is a great passer, but it's going to be solely based on his defense. They're not going to put him out there to be a point guard. They're not going to have him out there to pass the ball around. They're going to put him in there to, to get defensive stops, especially late in the game. So there is some value for Marcus Garrett, I think at the next level, I'll be interested to see exactly what that looks like for him. But I do wish him all the best. My question for you before we move on is, you know, you look at some of these transformative KU basketball players over the years, especially recently with Azubuke and Dotson and Mason and Graham, uh, Perry Ellis, Andrew Wiggins, some of those guys. Where does Marcus Garrett rank for you? I mean, he... uh, he he's never really been a flashy player. He's been a, a hardworking player. He's been elite defensively. Do you rank him up there with some of the all-time KU greats? I would not. Um, and and maybe I should. I would not. To me, I I, I just don't think he bring he brought enough to the table offensively, consistently enough to be up there. Because I mean, Frank Mason the third. You have to remember, he was a damn good defender too. I mean, it's not like yeah. he just was offense and, and just yeah. hit threes. He played good defense, as did uh, Devon Dotson, Devontae Graham, Kirk Heinrich, these other guys. They all, you know, Nick Collison, they played good defense too. So I, I feel like you have to have 
the offense and the defense, you know, I always like to have complete players as, as my all-time sure. guys. So that's our look at college basketball, a little <laughs> college football signing as well. And for Kansas State, probably going to be it because that was their last signing. And Bruce Weber had said before Mossad became available, didn't even know if he'd use that 14th scholarship. So Kansas State's probably done. KU, Wichita State, probably still some room to move. It's not time for that part of the show where we hit the music. It is time for the Wichita Whip Around. And starting off, I know that you guys like to totally hate on friends, and it's so sad that Weston <laughs> is not here. But I had to bring this. It's not my story. Uh, friends, Falcons fans, I do have your back, even though we have these two haters with us. Friends Baseball winning the season series over your mound builders 11 to 1 go ahead and defend your squad what happened you guys got absolutely assassinated up here in wichita what what, what happened to your boys hey the only defense that i can give to that is the fact that the mound builder baseball program is still fairly new i think they're only in their third or fourth year of playing baseball in Winfield. So that that's a new program. It was not around when I was on campus. It was not around when Weston was on campus. I know very little about that baseball program. So I really don't have a whole lot to say about it other than, <laughs> I guess, congratulations, friends. I don't really know. If you ask me about Southwestern football, basketball, any of those other sports that have been around forever, I can probably give you more information than about baseball. Okay, fair enough. Well, I will give you the information about Friend Soccer. They had eight Falcons named to the KCAC team. Eight on the all-KCAC team. They finished 12-4-1. Juan Zamora was the KCAC newcomer of the year last year. He was on the first team this year. 17 goals to lead the Falcons along with three assists. I'm not just bringing up friends just to piss you and Weston off. Friends <laughs> deserves to be mentioned on the show. They're a hey, Wichita school. Can I l- – let me, let me just say this very quickly here. Uh, and I'm going to throw Weston under the bus because he's not here and I can, <laughs> I can do that. It's my show. So Absolutely. I can do that. I can, uh, it's our show, but whatever. The bottom line is that <laughs> I feel like I am unfairly lumped in with Weston Mills and his hatred of friends. Do I love friends university? No, not, I can't say that I do, but I do. As a mound builder, you shouldn't. And I, I, right. I get that. Sure. Now, here's the difference between Weston Mills and myself. I did not play sports in college. So I never actively competed against Friends University. Understandable. My my dislike of them, if you want to call it that, is just simply because they're the rival of Southwestern. But Weston has intimate competitive animosity towards the Falcons. Sure he does. And so his feelings and he's towards not apologetic friends, for it. No. So his feelings towards friends and my feelings towards friends are like comparing apples and oranges. So I can okay. say with all sincerity, congratulations to friends. Way to go. Uh, am I going to go to a game and cheer for you? Probably not. If you're playing Southwestern, <laughs> I will absolutely cheer against you, but I don't hate you. Uh, and congratulations for the success. Well, you know what? That's an honest opinion, and I'm I'm betting that Weston is probably going to feel even sicker hearing you, a mound builder, say that. Uh, what <laughs> is your fine. Wichita whip around story this week? Okay, so I'm going to stick with baseball here a little bit, and uh, we it's been a while since we have talked about the Wichita wind surge. 
Uh, even though yeah. their season is coming up in just a few weeks from now, uh, they kick off their season. I believe the second weekend of May is their opening series against the Amarillo sod poodles, uh, which <laughs> is one of the best names ever. Um, but the uh, Wichita wind surge, well, it's one of the more unique names, I guess you would say, it is. uh, the, the wind surge did announce that single game tickets will go on sale this coming Saturday at 10 a.m. You can get them online at windsurge.com. They also have the box office open uh, as well on that Saturday from 10 to 2 to be able to buy your single game tickets. And then if you had season tickets for the 2020 season, they do now have it open to where you can go online and exchange them, which I have done. I did that a couple of days ago. Uh, and so trying to get that all taken care of, but yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting for me that, you know, not only do they have the schedule out, but they do now have it at a point to where fans can get excited to buy tickets. They can get their previous season tickets exchanged, which means that it's getting more real for me. And this have they, uh, and, Oh, have they have they announced anything about capacity at Riverfront Stadium? Not to my knowledge, but if you take a look, but if you take a look at the pictures from the shocker game against Houston, there were a lot of people, a lot of people, a lot of people. And so uh, it would lead me to believe that maybe there aren't going to be capacity restrictions. I'm sure there will be protocols. I'm sure that it'll be I'm sure you'll have to wear a mask. Uh, and, and things like that, unless you're actively eating and drinking, but it wouldn't surprise me. And maybe they've released this and I just haven't seen it, but it wouldn't surprise me if there aren't any capacity restrictions going into the season. That would be fantastic. That's it for me. Do you have any other stories for the whip around? I, I, I follow the rules and only bring one. That's the only one that I have that is directly affiliated with the city of Wichita. I do have something else, though, for additions when we get to that. Okay, well, we're going to get into the additions, corrections, and retraction statement or a part of the show right now. So additions for me, I did want to shout out a little bit, uh, not quite Wichita whip around worthy, but Wichita West Baseball, the Pioneers, started 11-0. Congratulations to them. Also, Andover High School Softball. Down in your neck of the woods, Tommy, 10-0 start to the year for the Trojans. So congratulations to them as well. Some local diamond sports doing very good things in the City League and outside the City League. Um, Also, another addition that I want to make, KU football in its search for a head coach. The athletic director, Travis Goff, announcing that there will be a national search. He informed the team, informed Emma Jones this week that that would be the case. And he also announced that Emma Jones is a candidate for the job. So Emma Jones is going to be allowed to interview. He is going to be a candidate for the permanent job of KU football coach. Do you have any strong thoughts one way or the other? And uh, I believe that the timeline is to maybe have the new head football coach hired by the end of spring practice. We were wondering, is Jones going to be given the whole season? When is the new football coach going to be brought in? Obviously, this is not the time of year that football coaches are hired. This is highly unusual. I'm wondering about the quality of candidates that KU will be able to attract, especially with the fact that, let's be honest, KU football is a bit of a mess. What are your thoughts on the hiring uh, process? Jones as a candidate for the head job and what a national search might look like when you're looking for a new head football coach in April. 
Yeah, I don't see a scenario at this point now where Emmett Jones will end up being the coach of, of the Jayhawks. Um, I, I think that the best opportunity that he had was if Travis Goff said, we'll give Emmett Jones the year as the interim coach. He didn't do that. He said, we're going to do a national search for a football coach. Uh, and all the rumblings are saying that they that Goff and the search committee and the university, they're looking for someone with prior uh, D1 head coaching experience. So uh, I don't think it'll be Emmett Jones. I think the fact that he is a candidate is obligatory at this point. I think uh, it would have ruffled a lot of feathers if Travis Goff had come in and immediately said that Emmett Jones would not be considered for the position after only a few weeks of being the interim uh, and kind of handed the reins. So I think that they're saying he will be a candidate do I think he'll get the job? No, I, I don't. Um, it looks like there are some fairly high level potential hires that are out there that are interested in the job that are being considered that are being interviewed this week. It sounds like these interviews are taking place this week. Some of those names include Lance uh, Leopold. I think that's how you say his name, Leopold or Leopold. Uh, he is the head, current head coach at Buffalo, which I know that obviously there are, there's probably a bad taste in people's mouths. It worked out so great last time. But Lance Leopold has been very successful in his previous stretches and I think is considered one of the favorites potentially for the job. Also, Jeff Munkin from Army is out there. That would be interesting considering that he's the triple option guy. He's the one that runs that triple option offense. So uh, that's going to be, that would be interesting to see that come to Kansas. And part of the, I think, uh, thought process for him is that, hey, can Kansas compete with the high flyers in the Big 12? Probably not. So maybe it's important to do something different. Well, what do you think about do you have you seen that high school coach? I think it's in Oklahoma or maybe it's Texas. I don't know what state he's from, but the guy who didn't who never punts and he yeah. offered he said that he would take the KU job for ninety thousand dollars per win, which he said, Hey, that'll be a lot better deal than what you're getting right now. And and but he did to the bleacher report guy, he said, But we'll win. So, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't think he has any shot to get the job, no. but it, it was intriguing. But I don't think yeah. he's got any shot. But it, but it is yeah. kind of intriguing that he was like, hey, you know what? I'm going to do better than what you've got, and I'll cost you way less money. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Kelly is his name. He's That's at, right. Uh, Pulaski Academy in Arkansas. Um, and his two rules are never punt and always onside kick. Um, yes. uh, yeah, no, he, he, he won't be, he won't be the head coach at Kansas. Uh, I, I can almost guarantee you of that. Uh, but I know they're talking to other guys like Willie Fritz, who is currently at Tulane. Um, I, I know that at one point there were conversations about Kevin Kane, who is currently at Illinois as the associate head coach. And he's a KU alum played on the football team under Mark Mangino. But I really think it's probably going to come down to Leopold from Buffalo and Munkin from Army. Kind of seems like those are the maybe the two leading candidates right now. Uh, I also heard, and, and I think that this is interesting, this was something that um, I believe it was Matt Tate actually that said this, uh, that tweeted this earlier today. Lawrence that, Journal like, World. That a dark horse candidate that he had heard, uh, his name come up for the first time ever in this search, is Skip Holtz 
who was the son of Lou Holtz. Mm-hmm. Skip Holtz was the or is the current head coach at Louisiana Tech University. He was head coach at USF and East Carolina and Kentucky before that. And he was an assistant. I'm sorry, Connecticut. And he was an assistant head coach for uh, South Carolina back in the 90s. So I'm not sure how serious that is. Matt Tate reported that, but I really do think it'll be between the Buffalo guy and the Army guy. Any other additions, corrections, or retractions for you? Yeah, one quick addition for me. I feel like we would be remiss to not mention the fact that the NJC uh, AA tournament is going on right now in Hutchinson. Uh, That tipped off on Monday. Uh, Obviously, last week on the program, we talked in our Wichita Whip Around about Steve Eck and how he's leaving Hutchinson Community College uh, at the end of this tournament, and then he'll end up being the head coach at Cape and Mount Carmel. So he's currently coaching in his final NJC AA tournament uh, in Hutchinson this year. Of course, that tournament was like all the other ones and didn't get played last season. They are doing 25% capacity uh, inside uh, the building there uh, this week in Hutchinson. Um, so, But at least it's going on right now. So anyway, just felt like it would be important to at least mention that's going on. Also, one last thing for me, big weekend coming up for Newman University Jets baseball and the weekend series against their old Heartland Conference uh, rivals, Rogers State, has been moved because of forecasted rain here in Wichita. So the Friday-Saturday series is not going to be moved to Saturday-Sunday, and it's a very, very big day for those of you who are into Wichita baseball Paul Sanagorski Day is coming up on Saturday. The Newman University Hall of Fame head coach, who of course led the Jets to their only NAIA World Series appearance back in 1983 when they were winning and stacking up District 10 championships. And uh, they they are going to have Paul Sanagorski Day out to celebrate number 11. This was scheduled last year, but of course canceled due to the coronavirus pandemic. So one game on Saturday. 2 o'clock p.m. for the first pitch. They will have the celebration at 1.45 on Saturday prior to first pitch. So that's when that's going to happen. So that means that I guess I'm going to be on the air at 1.30 on Saturday for right. the Newman Jets Audio Network. So you can see that you can uh, see that on the MIAA Network if you're not able to get here to Wichita or listen to NewmanJets.com slash listen. Game two and three of that series, Senior Day for the Jets, will be on April 25th. Start of that doubleheader is still yet to be determined. Uh, kind of a must-win series for the Jets. They have not won a series this year. Currently last place in the MIAA standings, but the top eight go to the MIAA tournament. Three series left. If the Jets win this series, and especially if they sweep, they will have a shot to make it happen for themselves to get into that MIAA tournament. And Tommy, you know what kind of a legend Paul Sanagorski is. The Sanagorski name around around Wichita baseball is humongous. Still working at Bishop Carroll as an assistant right now. Uh, but th- I, I talked on the podcast, the Jetcast, which released uh, yesterday. Uh, to uh, Kelly Gall, a former Newman catcher, Hall of Famer, and also to Rod Stevenson, who's the owner of the Kansas Cannons, who played on that 1983 World Series team, uh, the NAI World Series team for the Jets. So it's a really big weekend for Newman baseball. Sad that rain's going to get in the middle of it, but should be a fantastic day. The weather is scheduled to be perfect on Saturday and Sunday yeah. for this series. So hopefully all you old-time Jet baseball fans from the NAIA days will will come out and, and cheer on the Jets for Senior Day Sunday and Paul Sanagorski Day. Come out and hang out with Sags, the old coach, on <laughs> Saturday. Why don't you? And you, you know what? That name, you're absolutely right. That name just resonates when you think <laughs> yes. of baseball in Wichita. I mean, the fact that he basically created – 
the baseball program at Newman from the ground up. Um, yes, he did. You know, I mean, all the way back when it when the name of the school was Kansas Newman, Kansas College, Newman you know, College. And, yes. And he built it from the ground up and then, you know, did a whole bunch of other things while he was at Newman, coached golf, you know, was the athletic director for a while, assistant basketball coach. But really the the fact that, you know, he moved then he moved on from Newman and was able to spend a lot of years in professional baseball, I think is awesome. Um, you know, we got a chance to to see him uh, help coach the Wingnuts for a couple of seasons as well. Yep. Um, you know, so he's done just about everything that you can do as it relates to baseball in the air capital. So happy for for him and his family that he's got this opportunity again for for Paul Sangorski Day uh, coming up this weekend. Really looking forward to it and glad the weather it looks like Friday, obviously sounds like it's going to be a washout, but should be a fantastic day at McCarthy Field on Saturday and Sunday. And yes, tickets are available. You can get them all the ticket information. Uh, just walk up. You can buy tickets. Um, may have to wear a mask. Not sure of the protocols, but tickets are certainly available. That is our show for the week. Thanks so much for being along. Once again, you can get in contact with us best way at CogPod at CogPod on Twitter, also the Keeper of the Games on Facebook, and by going to our website, CogSports.com. You want to help out and support the channel, easy way to do that is just to watch this video. Watch the next one, and if you're not doing anything at work, go back and watch one of the old ones. Download one of our audio podcasts and tell a friend. Very easy way that costs you nothing but time, and we really appreciate all the support. Thanks so much I mean, for we'll, listening. We'll- We'll take your money too. I mean, I know I it mean, costs you. Your if time, you want to sponsor, yeah, just get in touch with Tommy. Tommy sure. is 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 the marketing. Not only is he the executive producer, but he's also the marketing director of Keeper of the Games podcast. Let's so he'd not be happy. undersell. Let's not undersell ourselves. Like, if people want to give us money, I would certainly take it. <laughs> Absolutely. So before we go, we also always have to shout out to our beloved audio listeners. Tweet tweeting from Tommy. Tell us your Twitter handle. Well, it's not that. I mean, you were close. It's at tweets from Tommy. uh, So you can follow me there on Twitter anytime. And I am at B-E Crips, B-E-C-R-I-P-P-S on Twitter. And and Weston like a follow too. So you can follow him. Weston will be back next week. Next week on the show, probably more Royals baseball. Big series coming up for Wichita State softball. We will check on that. And will the carousel finally stop turning for college basketball? I don't know the answer to that. I guess we're going to find out next week on the program. And so we will see you then. For Tommy Castor, I am Blake Cripps. This has been Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games with Tommy Castor, Weston Mills, and Blake Cripps. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod.